This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we're going to be talking today about some very interesting, globally significant mycotoxins, mold that can be affecting and causing your personal treatment failure or treatment failure with people you know. It's a totally interesting topic, and we have a serious, serious expert, a person who is deep into testing, who knows how to test for mold in very productive and real ways, Dr. Matt Pratt-Hyatt out in Great Plains Laboratory. Matt, Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great. I'm really happy to be here, Charles. So what we're going to do, Matt, is we'll just have a brief note here from our sponsors, and then we're going to go ahead and roll on and, and find out about who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, and how you can help us all figure these actually catastrophic situations out. They're all over the place. So with that, let me first of all remind all of us that CBJ is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory with over 3 million studies. They are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrol, and copper challenges. They provide a global service with, indeed, a molecular focus. Stay tuned and do head over to dhalab.com forward slash core for more specific info on their testing. And CBJ is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, who provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and they're also globally connected. They're TRICARE friendly, and we'll be talking about how they provide child and adolescent care. It's important to know that they do a comprehensive assessment program that's biomedically validated as opposed to just bringing them in, keeping them tight, and throwing meds at them for a period of time and crossing your finger and hoping that you get the symptoms taken care of. They're strong players, and we're very pleased that we are able to work with them. So having said that, go over to barryrobinson.org forward slash core if you have any questions about that. We'll have more in just a moment. So let me tell you about Dr. Matt Pratt-Hyatt out Great Plains. He's out in Kansas. So he received his PhD in cellular and molecular biology from the University of Michigan. He has over a dozen publications in leading research journals on these topics. He's currently an associate laboratory director at Great Plains Laboratory with Dr. William Shaw, whom we've introduced and uh, discussed earlier. I don't have his specific number in my mind right now. He specializes in developing tools that examine factors at the interface between genetics and toxicology. You don't have to be in this business long to be wondering what's going on there because that is the buzz, my friends. If you're into any kind of treatment failure, if you're thinking about testing, this is the cutting edge of what's going on globally. Now, I say globally. It's with the people who are informed and moving the needle forward. It's, what's, it's the cutting edge. So he lives out in Kansas City, Missouri. He's married with two kids. And the big question in my mind, because as I mentioned to you offline before we got started, I was very interested in uh, Dr. Richie Shoemaker, who wrote Mold Warriors, 
years ago, and I'll have that link in the uh, show notes. And I learned a little bit about it. And Matt, I actually saw some people come in the office and was able to make a diagnosis based on just a history alone, because I asked about mold. So then I became interested in it for a while. But what turned you into it? How did you happen to get into that particular subject in the first place? Well, that's an excellent question. So I've been working with the Great Plains Laboratory for about four years now. And what we had been, I do a lot of consultations with practitioners and patients. And what he had noticed is that a lot of patients that had overgrowths and clostridia and candida had a lot of like mitochondrial stress going on as well. And then through like patient histories, we noticed that a number of them had indicated they had either like mold in their home or mold in their home many years in the past. So we thought like, well, we need, this, is, this is a question that really needs to get answered. So we started working and we saw that there wasn't a lot of laboratories that were, because first we wanted to work with another laboratory that could do mold testing for us. And we would send those samples to that laboratory and test with, with them. And we didn't really find anybody that we thought was doing an adequate job at answering this question. So mm-hmm. we utilized our technique, our mastery of knowing how to do liquid chromatography mass spec and said, okay, we can, we can solve this problem. Mm-hmm. So we started developing a test. It took us about two years to develop a test that we felt comfortable utilizing. And then we started like comparing our results from that test to our organic acid test and, we're like, and then we like really like say like yes this is definitely like answering those fundamental questions of like why some patients just don't respond to certain treatments. Well that's really great because you know you don't know this about me but we're very interested in candida because that's been one that I was a belated uh, comer to you know it took me a long time to you know you do treatment failure first of all you're doing something functional medicine wise and you think okay, I'm not going to do psychiatry because the meds are not working. So I've got to look deeper. So then we look at neurotransmitters and then we look at a variety of different things, gut function and so on. And, and I came to candida belatedly. And what you're saying is you went from candida and you saw, hey, that wasn't quite sufficient for what was going on. Let's look at that next level. And that is so interesting. You know, in the PDF uh, handouts that are going to be on the show notes, folks, Uh, Matt's been kind enough to send us uh, downloadable materials that you can have for reference. So if you go over to the show notes, if you happen to hear this in your car, you want to go back to the show notes and uh, pick these things up so you can actually get more into the science. But so then once you figured out how to test, you stimulated me to ask you another question here, and that is, what was the relationship between the mold and some of these findings that you found on the very excellent oats findings that you have at Great Plains, what was provocative about the oats that made you think you needed to do more on uh, the mold, for example? We had a subset of patients here that had very high candida and or clostridia. And then they also had like high succinic acid, high lactic acid, um, sometimes their uh, pyroglutamic acid which is a marker for how much glutathione a patient has. 
all of those were elevated. So that gave us an idea there was some there was a, some other underlying cause. And some of these patients were very difficult to treat. Like the practitioner would do months antifungals or um, and our bacterial treatments, and the patients that wouldn't really respond as well as some of the other patients that we were treating. So mm-hmm. we figured that, and then we looked through the literature, and we saw that some of these mycotoxin exposures lower the innate immune system. So by having these mycotoxins in their system, their body can't fight off these um, opportunistic pathogens. So we, we figured out that there was like a, an other underlying question that needed to be answered. Well, those mycotoxins apparently uh, directly affect, as you were saying just a moment ago, mitochondrial function. They do. The mitochondrial function, the white blood cells, there's been a lot of papers out there that indicate patients that are exposed to mycotoxins have a lowered white blood cell count in their body. Oh, that's interesting. So... On the oats, when you see the mitochondrial function compromised, and of course you have the white blood cells. So those are, those are markers. Now, if you're just taking a history now, you, and you hear this from a number of practitioners, I'm sure, so I'm, you're, you're, you're a guy that's had a lot of experience with this. What are some of the historical things that you would say a practitioner should ask about before they even do the test that would be provocative for you as a clinician coming into it that would say, hey, maybe we should do some mycotoxin testing here? Yeah, I mean, first you want to like, I mean, usually when we have a patient start off with us, we usually will ask them to do an organic acid test. And then I'll assess the organic acid test. And there are certain like markers or symptoms that really like lead me to want to do a mycotoxin test as a follow-up. I mean, if the patient says they had mold exposure in their homes, we usually will say like, okay, we definitely need to do a mycotoxin because we want to find out what their baseline amount of mycotoxins in their body are before we start initiating treatment. But there's been some patients, we've been doing this for about five months now, we've been finding a lot of patients, they they don't even know they had mold in their home. Key point. I'll talk to the patient one month and then I'll have a follow-up the following month and they say like, oh, we found mold in our bathroom or we found mold in our kitchen or we found mold in our basement afterwards and they would never have even known this without doing the first oat and then the follow-up mycotoxin after it and the the markers on the oat that really lead us to want to do the mycotoxin follow-up are like there's a several fungal markers there's the 5 hydroxymethyl 2 furonic and there's the furon 2,5-dicarboxylic markers, which are markers 2 and 4 on the oat. And those are fungal markers that really show the patient has aspergillus, which is one of the main fungal species out there. 2 and 4. Two of markers 2 and 4. That is interesting because I've been puzzled by that. That's a, that's a big one. Okay, so then... The other issue, I think that's really true, that what we need to do, what I know, just even having this conversation with you, I know that I've had some individuals who are refractory to good testing, and I know that I also haven't asked the mold question as carefully as I should, because the same thing happened to me. I was doing brain scans with Dr. Amen up in D.C. For, from 03 to 07, and we had people come in, and their brain would look a certain way. And they would have a certain uh, low energy. They simply couldn't function. That's before I knew any of the rest of it, candida and so on. And very frequently we would ask about mold and, and uh, they would have some exposure. They'd come in from New York City down to D.C. to get, to get scans. 
and their brain would look like Swiss cheese. And yet they weren't really suffering from an Alzheimer condition, but they clearly had some kind of biomedical problem going on. And then we asked them, and yeah, oh yeah, the entire bathroom was filled with mold and people were leaving the apartment building because mold was an issue there. I mean, they, and even now, one of the second things I'm going to ask you in the second part of this is, is what to do about it. So let's talk about some of the species of mold and some of the physical symptoms that a clinician would want to be alerted to really drive that one a little deeper if we could, please. Yeah, so the, um, the symptoms that we see very regularly are like fatigue. Fatigue is definitely the number one symptom that we commonly see for mold exposure, but then other common ones are migraines. One that people don't really expect is um, rashes, uh, like a spotty red rash is a common symptom for mold exposure. Let me stop you right there. When you yeah. say spotty red rash, talk a little bit more about that. Is it So it's not uh, psoriasis or eczema? No, it's not. But it's more, I mean, it's, it looks a little bit like eczema, but it's um, a little bit not as bumpy as eczema. It's more just like um, white and red blotches on the skin. That's a common occurrence for mold exposure. So what would be the size of those blotches? Are they like... It could be as far as like the size of a quarter, but then some patients we've seen are pretty much like their, their whole torso is uh, filled with rashes of uh, different sizes. So that white piece on the rash is a, is a focus factor. Is that correct? It is, yes. That is interesting. That is very interesting because that's another question that would be good to ask. And then the exposure question is real. I think the other thing is really quite interesting is the fact that they can do this a urine test. Yeah, we try to do most of our tests as urine tests just because we have a lot of pediatric patients. So it's really important for us to have like ease of collection. So or as we mentioned earlier, organic acid test, which is a urine test. And then we have a non-metals environmental toxin test, which is also a urine test. So we can do like all, these are our three main tests and we can do all three of them through like one urine sample. So it's very um, convenient for our patients. Now, what about the, thank you for answering that question. So that's uh, one point. Now, you and I were talking offline before we started. And one of the things that uh, is, and I, I love the way you corrected me on that a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't call it a correction, so you were amplifying on the point, but I was saying, you know, mold is such a big problem with the hurricanes. We have hurricanes. New Orleans was loaded with mold, and then I'm sure the mold is every place that, that's, like, for example, they're talking about uh, the islands, the Caribbean. I mean, mold has got to be a serious problem for that entire country down there, you know? Yeah. So now... Black mold was the mold that we, and I don't remember the genus and species on that one, but the bottom line is people would always talk about black mold as being the relevant mold. Is that Aspergillus? No, actually, that's um, Stachybotrys okay. is, the, is the black mold that okay. people re are referring to. And that, that's a commonplace. Uh, tell us a little more about some of those commonplace molds that you think, uh, you, uh, how they look, what, what, where they would be, what's going on. In the basement under the house, how do you actually see what, what, what would alert you? Well, I mean, the four most common molds, which can grow either separately or together in a colony, are Aspergillus, the one that you had already mentioned, Penicillium, Stachybotrys, and Forsarium are probably like the four most common molds. Mm -hmm. You can find all four of these growing in homes, but then you can also find three of those the Aspergillus, the Penicillium, 
and the fusarium, those can sometimes grow on different types of food as well. So sometimes people can have like nuts and berries or different fruit can be contaminated with a lot of these different molds as well. So it's not just water damaged homes that you can get mold exposure, but some food sources can be exposed to as well. So now what do you think about a person who might have a problem with mold in their home What's your opinion, having evaluated these tests in a number of individuals, with people who do mold testing locally? Is that a reasonable thing to say, could you come into my home and test for mold? What's your opinion about that? Oh, I mean, usually that's very expensive. So as a first pass, I would recommend doing our test is because it's much more affordable than having a remediation group come in and do environmental testing in your home a lot less invasive because all we get to do is like um, send in the, the urine sample into us and it's a lot cheaper than doing remediation testing through a, lo- through a local company. So I would recommend doing us first. And then if you do have positive results, I would recommend doing um, having a local company come in and check to find out, make sure that you get everything out. And I would recommend not, most patients not doing, tr- trying to get rid of the mold themselves because a lot of these, it's not the mold that's going to damage you, it's the mycotoxins. And a lot of these molds will release these mycotoxins into the atmosphere when they get threatened. So if you put like bleach or any type of cleaner on top of the molds, it'll cause them to release the mycotoxins into the air and you can either absorb them through the skin or you can breathe the mycotoxins in. Those are the two most common routes of ingestion. Well, please amplify on that because I think that's an important new word for our vocabulary. The mycotoxins are, in fact, released by the mold. The mycotoxins are the individuals, if you will, that actually cause the damage. That's right. So myco is M-Y-C-O, and it's Latin for fungus produced. So most people think that when they have mold um, problems that they actually have mold growing inside their bodies. And most commonly, that's not the case. Most commonly, you actually have the mycotoxins which are released from the mold, absorbed into your body, binding up to different cellular components inside the body, which causes them to misfunction. And then that's what causes a lot of the symptoms. And sometimes it's not even the mycotoxins themselves, but we had mentioned earlier how these mycotoxins can cause the innate immune system to be depressed. So it might not even be the mold that's causing a lot of your symptoms. It could be these other optimistic problems, like you can have overgrosses in candida or clostridia as well. And those could be caused a lot of your symptoms, not just the mold. So now let's talk about candida for just a moment. Do that whole mycotoxin thing, when candida is killed, and you have a Herxheimer reaction with the candida dying. Is that a mycotoxin phenomenon? It's very well, it's, it's a very similar phenomenon. It's not exactly the same, but it's very, it's very similar. Oh, that's interesting. Well, let's take a break for a minute here, and I'm going to ask you this question when we get back. You know, it's really interesting to me. I think the issue then is, what do we do about it now? And this is a very brief interview. I mean, you have in your PDF, we're going to load it on the show notes, numerous. And this is one of the things I liked about Dr. Shaw. He did the same thing that you have. He has numerous references, and we want to really have good documentation to be on the show notes. But when we get back, we're going to ask you this question. It's a really simple question. I'm sure there is a serious complexity to it. But the question is, what do you 
do about it? And that's two, two phases. One is what we were talking about a moment ago. What do you do if you've got it in your home kind of thing when, you know, do you need to make your house uh, uninhabitable? Or, or what do you do about it physiologically with the person clinically in your office, which is even more relevant? So we'll be back, folks, in just a moment to hear that answer. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. And Dr. Matt Pratt-Hyatt, thank you so much for joining us again. So let's dig into it. We have just touch the surface that this is a real problem, that it can cause, in fact, this is core brain journal. It can actually cause neurologic and brain injury. We didn't really talk about it that much, but we know that dizziness, cognition can go off, energy goes off, and a person can look depressed. They can look apathetic and indifferent. They can look like they've got adrenal dysfunction, pardon me, but they, they can have a serious mold problem. So, Tell us a little bit about what clinicians can do when they have the specific answers that are provided by the GPL Mycotox findings from Great Plains Laboratory. Yeah, so that's an excellent question. So one great thing about our test is it's a quantitative test, unlike some other tests out there that measure mold that are more like semi-quantitative or more qualitative. So we can get a measurement of how much mold a person has in their body at that time. So we like people to do a baseline. And then we have different protocols that we've been working with numerous different practitioners that we've kind of have tried to like tailor towards treatment of these mold toxins. And things that we have seen that have worked the best are multifold. So one of the things that work the best are glutathione, because glutathione actually binds to these mycotoxins. It binds very well. Activated charcoal binds well. Other thing that is really necessary that we have found is actually doing sauna treatment with usually like two to three times a week for 30 minutes because a lot of these mold toxins are very fat soluble. So they can stay inside the body for years if they're not caused, if you don't do something to try to agitate them from coming out of the adipose tissue. So we have found that sauna treatment works very well. Um, high doses of antioxidants are important. So you want to do like vitamin C, CoQ10, 
are also important. And sometimes even mitochondrial support is important. So like L-carnitine is also important for benefiting the mitochondria. So the only one I didn't hear you mention, and I don't know about it, this is why I'm asking the question, is uh, NAC. What do you think about NAC as a relevant uh, intervention? So NAC works very well. Uh, works very well. Um, I have some patients that don't convert NAC very well to glutathione, and we can kind of tell that using the organic acid test. We have a marker on there that measures NAC and how much of it is getting urinated out. Now, if I have a patient that is taking NAC and I see a lot of it is passing through their body and going into the urine, I usually will switch them from NAC over to glutathione. Direct glutathione, yeah. Yeah, so I, it depends on whether how, how well that, um, that individual is doing the conversion of NAC to glutathione. So and how do you think that glutathione should be administered, Matt? Would you be your opinion about that? Uh, I mean, what we have seen that works the best is doing the liposomal orally or IV. Um, orally, you want to um, go into the mouth and then keep it there for a certain period of time. I think that usually most practitioners say within like with probably like 30 seconds to a minute, I think it, at least, mm-hmm. to get proper absorption. Comes in through the buccal mucosa. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting. And so what you're saying quite emphatically is your experience with a number of people is something can be done about it. And it's relatively uncomplicated. The whole perspiration box, the, how come the, the word right, went right out of my mind, but the, the, you know, the sweat box thing, not everybody has access to that. No, they do not. But I mean, a lot of practitioners have them in their office now, nowadays. There's a lot of health locations that you can go to. And then there's actually, you can buy, we, at conferences, I have seen that there's a lot of um, sour, um, infrared sauna that you can buy at a very low cost that the person can go into. It's not the, the big box, but mm-hmm. a more individually sized. They can hop even, in it, yeah. Even exercise, well, I mean, the, really the most important thing is just to break a sweat and to cause um, the bath cells to uh, break up. So just go through like uh, some like ketosis. You really want to move away from burning carbohydrates for energy and moving more towards burning fats towards energy or in order to re- release these toxins. Even a steam room at the gym would be yeah, helpful. That work as well. Yep. So then the parenthetical question B on what to do what's your overall opinion about what should be done? I know you're not a a home builder, you wouldn't be a PhD in the subjects that you're studying if you were a home builder. But what does one do with a home? Do they? What's your recommendation? Do you have any specific things a person should be looking for in terms of what they do with their home, or what the qualifications would be, or what their objectives are with cleaning a home out? Those are all excellent questions, and I I would recommend just like trying to like find the the most the person that is best um, suited like in your local area to find out who can um, assess these mold toxins in your area the best. I mean, I assume they like get recommendations from other people that have utilized these different services. And then there are certain areas of the country that seem to have a lot more mold than others. What we have seen through our studies is that the, the South and the Pacific Northwest seem to have the most amount of mold just like across the board but then you have like, I mean, you have pockets all around the country because everybody has a leaky, I mean, has leaks in their homes or 
especially here in the Midwest, we had a really rainy, last year was really rainy for us in the Midwest. So we've um, seen a lot of mold here in the Kansas City area, as well as other parts of the Midwest. So let's tell practitioners and patients what they could do in terms of going to Great Plains. What kind of training, tutorial things, what kind of resources do you have that a person could learn more through your Great Plains educational system? That's another great question. It's, it's, I think that people don't realize how much information that we have on our website. So I always recommend when I'm doing a consult with a new practitioner, I tell them to go to our website. And then the right-hand side of our website is a resources tab. And we have a series of different podcasts. We have over a thousand hours of podcasts on our website. We have articles, we have blog posts. And then beyond those things on our website, I would recommend looking at our calendar and find out when our workshops are coming into particular people's areas. We run these two-day workshops over the weekends around the country. We talk about all the markers on our organic acid test, our GPL tox test, the mycotoxin test. We talk about our food sensitivity test. So we kind of like go over a lot of our main tests and help practitioners learn how to incorporate those into their practices. Well, and I think the other thing, I don't know the exact relationship with Great Plains and IMMH, but for practitioners, that is a very important conference. Is Great Plains, did they put that on? Do you guys organize that? Yes, we were one of the main organizers for the IMMH, the Integrative Mental Health um, Symposium. And with a very functional mental health, we have a lot of practitioners in there that utilize functional medicine in their practices. And yeah, it's a um, the four-day workshop conference that has multiple different speakers. It has about 50 different vendors in it. So it's kind of a, it's a very inclusive venue for learning how to incorporate functional medicine into a mental health practice. Well, and I think practitioners, people who are interested in, in really thinking about this, uh, taking this down closer to the patient level and want to learn more, I strongly recommend IMMH. I've been to several of them and they're very provocative, very interesting. The speakers are all cutting edge. And what I think is really interesting about it is they're so gracious and so fun to talk to. I mean, you have a very willing group of people that are, there's no pretentiousness. There's, it's like, this is what I do. Take it. You know, this is my experience. They're very open. And I really appreciate that when, when we go there. And I think that's just the way they are. Very interesting. Yeah. And I know that this next year, they're going to be in Dallas from September 6th to the 9th. And the speaker list is this could be amazing. Like um, Ben Lynch, Bredesen's going to be there. I can't remember. Those are the two names that are coming off the top of my head. But I know mm-hmm. it's, a very, it's a very extensive list of great practitioners that they're having giving talks. So that a meeting, folks, will be available at the Great Plains Laboratory. And if you're in a car, again, we'll have all this stuff in the link so you can just pop right over and take a look at it. We'd be happy to put it forward. Is there anything else as we're closing here? Dr. Matt Pratt-Hyatt that we should send our listeners to over at Great Plains? Do you have any other specific things? Hey, look, here's another thing that you need to look at. 
I would just, I would just recommend them look at our list of tests because we offer over 30 different types of tests. I mean, our goal at the Great Plains is just to like make sure to define the underlying cause of illnesses. We don't want to have practitioners treat the symptoms. We want to actually treat the cause of problems. And that's pretty much our goal at the Great Plains is to try to find the, the root causes of issues. Well, I think that's where everybody's going. I mean, that's why you folks at that laboratory are thought leaders, because what is the underlying foundation of the symptoms on the surface? That's, and I admire your work. I appreciate your work. And I really appreciate you taking the time for us with this conversation, because I, I can see actually we're talking. I can think of a couple people that have really been refractory, and I need to just hook it up and see what's going on with this and get become more acquainted with the uh, the kinds of mycotoxin problems that you're talking about. Great, we'll be happy to help. I was just going like, to make sure that everybody knows that we offer free consulting for all practitioners or patients. So if you have, if you do testing with us and you don't quite understand your results, call in and we can set you up an appointment. We try to like get people in with it as quickly as possible. Excellent point. I'm glad you brought that one up because you guys do a really, really good job with that. You know, that's uh, very interesting. So thank you so much, Matt, for coming on board. We really appreciate it. And if you think there's something else that, hey, Parker, we could have covered this point a little more, don't hesitate to call me. We'll jump up and do it again because this is what we do here. We really enjoy listening to folks like yourself and learning from you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.